if, if I had a title for my uh, message this morning, it would be Impact and Recoil. Amen. And the definition of impact, um, it seems like every time I preach, I always break down a definition of the word. How many, when, when you actually know what something is, it gives it a little bit more life. Amen. That's a, deep, that's a whole nother sermon right there. When actually you truly, when you break down your marriage and you truly know what your marriage is, then you can have a successful one, amen? Or when you truly break down those things in life and you find out what they truly mean, then they come to life. But the word impact means to strike one thing against another or to have an influence. And I believe some of us in 2016 or 2017, I'm in a time machine, you're not, but in 2017, some of you have been impacted. Some of you have been impacted for the good. Some of you have been impacted for the bad. But all of us have had some sense of impact. And impact in our life is a twofold word. Because it's how we are impacted and how we impact others. Amen. So, you know, most of the time before we can impact others... We ourselves need to be impacted. Amen. I don't think most of us just popped up out of our bed one day and goes, I'm going to serve Jesus just out of nowhere. You know, eh, it's just time to do this. No, we, we interacted in a service or somebody preached this and that word of God came in and it impacted our life. And it totally changed us to the point where we wanted to impact others. Amen. I was working with a guy last week. We have labor guys that come in. I do construction. And this guy was asking, he goes, well, you know, I, I don't want to be a Christian because I don't want to have to, you know, I don't want to give up all those things. And I was sitting there and I was thinking to the guy, you know, when you truly encounter God, truly, truly encounter God. Because a lot of times people use Jesus like a pair of pants. Take them off and they put them on and they take them off and they put them on. But when you truly experience God and he impacts your life, it's not that I can't do those things anymore. I can. I have a free will. But God impacts you in such a way you don't want to do those things no more. So, I want to talk about a man who was impacted and through his impact, he was able to impact the whole nation of Israel. And um, I'm going to break down Exodus chapter 3. And it was Moses. And this is probably one of my favorite encounters where it, it, it's man and God, and we're going to kind of break this down, and knowing me, we're, we're going to stretch a little this morning, amen. How many know the Bible is living, amen, and something that Sister Liz reads and something I read, we can come up here and totally give two different interpretations, but both interpretations lead us to the same place, amen. That's a living word, so I want to stretch a little and maybe get into some areas in Exodus chapter 3 that we've never really thought about before. Amen. So if we can pull up Exodus chapter 3, 1 through 4. And I've got it here. And I'm in the New Living Translation because I'm not as saved as some. So I'm getting there. Not quite there to King James. But in, Mos or in Exodus chapter 3 it says, One day Moses was tending his flock of his father, uh, father-in-law and Jethro, the priest of the Midian. And he led us flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai in the mountain of God. There an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. 
Though this bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This was amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't this bush burning up? I must go see. So the first thing I want to break down, I love how God brought him deep into the wilderness first. And some of you, in your spiritual lives, you feel like you are deep lost in the wilderness. There are some situations in your life where you just don't know where you're at. And let me tell you, just because you don't know where you're at, God knows where you're at. Amen. God has placed you in that spot. Sometimes we need to get away from the ruckus and the noise into that quiet area. And sometimes it's a journey. Sometimes we got to get deep into the wilderness for God to finally open up and show himself to us. Amen. Are we excited about God today? Amen. Praise God. I'm excited about this. This is, this is going to be a lot, of, a lot of punches coming at you. So I just want you guys to be ready. Amen. So verse 2, the bush was ablaze. or not? Yeah, the, it was ablaze. See, God could have used anything in that situation. We've seen the Bible where God's used donkeys and all kinds. He's used us. And there's just all kinds of different methods that God could have used. He could have made a rock talk to him. A bird came down. He could have just audibly spoke out to Moses like he's done to other people in the Bible. But he chose to use a burning bush. And that made me think, why, why a burning bush? Why? That is just like the most, it's a bush on fire. You know, it's like, okay, God, I, okay. But this is where I want to stretch. I think it was a reflective of Moses' life. Because see, a bush is most vulnerable to fire. But it did not consume it. See, it was a reflection of what Moses was going to go through. The vehicle that God used can be set ablaze but not burn. That sometimes the thing that we are most vulnerable to will consume us but not burn us. Amen. That I could be walking through my life in fear and doubt and it's consuming me. And I feel like I'm going to lose it all. But God is saying it won't consume you. That I can be stuck in a relationship that I don't know where it's going to go. And I don't, and I'm confused. And it can be consuming me. But God is saying it won't burn you up. And I love out of the middle. I like how just, just how deliberate the scripture is written. Not from above. Not from the side. But through the middle through the middle of your circumstance this morning, in the midst of the chaos, right in the heart of the matter, God spoke out to Moses. Deliberately on an individual basis. He didn't say, my child, hey you, hey buckaroo. No, he said, Moses, God knows your name, what you're going through this morning. On an intimate and personal level. And it's so amazing. He didn't say Moses once. He said it twice. Now there are ten instances in the Bible. Where God has called out somebody's name twice. Abraham, Abraham, Jacob, Jacob. Moses, Moses, Samuel, Samuel, Martha, Martha, Simon, Simon. Saul, Saul. Anytime when the, the Lord speaks your name twice in a row. It means two things. Either there is going to be significant change 
around you or in your life, or he's trying to make a covenant with you. And I'm telling you, through the midst of your situation right now, he's going, Shannon, Shannon, that even though you are ablaze, I'm in the middle of your situation, and I have covenant with you, and I'm going to make a change in you. Amen. And I believe he's speaking that to each and every one of you today, that you come into this place consumed and overwhelmed. And he's saying, I have control of the situation. I'm going to do something with this. It's not a coincidence. It's not that you're drifting off in the wilderness and alone. I'm in the middle of it, and I'm going to do something with it. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's bust out some Cheetos. Maybe we need more Cheetos in service. Amen. I'm down for Cheetos. Bible says we have not because what? We ask not. Amen. <laughs> so let's go to verse. Verses, um, let me see here. Five and six. So Moses sees the bush, and he's amazed that this thing's not on fire, and he starts to approach it. And God says, do not come any closer. Stop. When the Lord tells you to stop in your life, you need to stop. There's some of us, we are trying to open doors and kick down situations in our life that God is saying, I have locked these things on purpose. That's for someone in here. That wasn't even in my notes. That's for somebody in here. Quit trying to open up things and go into avenues that the Lord is telling you not to. Amen. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for where you are standing is holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Where Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Do not come any closer. See, God wasn't concerned with getting the ground dirty. You know, he's like, hey, I just swept this. I just vacuumed. Take off your shoes. It's not like heaven in the front of the pearly gates. There's all these sandals because there's no shoes allowed inside, you know. He wasn't concerned about getting that area dirty. You know what I mean? This is where I want to stretch a little. It was that Moses had where he had been on the soles of his feet. And God was trying to start something new to him. See, Moses had a past. See, Moses was a felon. He was a wanted man at this time. Back when he was, he grew up in Pharaoh's palace. We all know the story. He was the baby in the basket and he got sent down the river. Pharaoh's wife picked him up. They raised him in the palace where he was out walking along one day to see the people. He saw this Egyptian beating one of the Hebrew people. He killed the Egyptian and tried to hide him in the sand. And then went out the next day and he saw two Hebrew people talking and fighting. And he's like, hey, knock it off. And they're like, what are you going to do? Kill us like you did the Egyptian? And he's like, I didn't know anybody knew that. Amen. Hey, people know what you're doing. People know what you're doing. When you think you're sly and you think you got it covered, people know what you're doing. So in a panic, Moses flees, and he goes out, and, and you know, he meets Jethro and all this. So Moses has a past, amen. 
And he's telling them, take off your sandals. Because I don't want you to drag your past into what my future is for you. Amen. And so many times we come in with the dirty sandals of life and the dirty sandals of our past. And we track it in into God's presence. And he's saying, I have forgiven you. See, so many times we come to church and God has laid out this fantastic thing for us. A little example here. And this is how we approach God. Not that he disappeared. No, I'm just saying. See, we're, 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 we're coming to God like this. You have new things for me, Lord? Let me pack a few things first. My insecurities. That old sin, that habit. All right, Lord, we're ready to, let's go. It's funny, but spiritually, this is how we come to church. And we come into God's pleasant. Yes, praise God, this is my Hello Kitty blanket. Don't knock the kitty. And we start to unpack what God is saying. You weren't, I didn't, I, I called you to take your sandals off. I called you to leave that into the past, Amen. See, it says in Philippians, if we could pull that up, 3.13, it says, No, dear brothers and sisters, not that I have chief. I love how he says, but I focus on one thing. The one thing that Paul focuses on is forgetting what? Forgetting the past. And that word to forget in the Greek means to uncarry. To let it go with the door. To forget the past and look forward to what? What lies ahead? Amen. So many of us, we are walking our faith and God is setting a path for us. And we choose to walk it like this. And God is saying, forget. Focus on this one thing. Forget what was. And look forward to what I have for you. Not what you did in your life. What you did in your life stunk. You screwed it up. Look at the shape that you're in. Why would I want you to take control of your life? You made a mess of it. So why do you keep looking at that mess that you made? As we go through, you know, as, as I did some bin studies in Celebrate Recovery. And, and just... I think not even in just in Celebrate Recovery, which is every Thursday night here at, at, at Women's Friendly Worship, 7 o'clock. But just, just as, as Christians in general, it's so easy for God to forgive us. But it's so hard for us to forgive ourselves. And if we learn just to forgive ourselves of what we have done and allow God's grace and mercy into our lives, we would be so much farther ahead in our Christian walk. See, so many times we blame mom and dad because they didn't love me enough and they didn't cuddle me enough and they didn't give me that train set when I was a kid and this and that. And you're so fixated on what was, you're becoming the person you were angry about the first time, in the first place. A lot of us come in, we're like Uncle Rico. Man, if I didn't get hurt, 
I could have thrown those touchdowns. I could have made it big. I could throw a football over a mountain. We have that mind. Oh, man, only if, only if this, if only that didn't happen to me. Only if, if God is saying none of that matters. Brother White, can I use you an example? Because you know why I chose Brother White? Because I know Brother White loves me. And if I said anything to Brother White, he wouldn't take offense to it because he knows that I love him. And that if we as a church had that same mentality, that the church in itself would be so much more farther than it is because we wouldn't come in all thin-skinned that we know that when we talk about each other, it's out of love. Amen. That's a whole different sermon on itself. But Brother White, you were once a pastor of a church. And how would you describe that whole experience? Either a success or a failure. Exactly. So if Brother White came up to preach and brought that baggage of that experience when he was a pastor and drug all that up here, <laughs> let me tell you about Jesus. Well, one time, it wouldn't have worked. See, it doesn't work when we bring the baggages to where God wants to take us. Amen. But he gleaned from it and he learned from it. And God is saying, you know what? That was a season, but I've got a new season for you. Amen. And some of us are trying to drag winter into summer and drag summer into fall. And you know what? God is saying, let your season be your season. Pick yourself up. Dust yourself off and continue on and go to the next place that I have for you. Amen. He's a forgetful God. Praise God, God's not a woman. Because women never forget. I forgive you, but I remember that one time 16 years ago when we were at Chili's where you gave a halfway look at that waitress. Yeah, you want to get there? No, I don't think so. What do you mean? But praise God, he's a, he, he, he forgives you. You're forgiven this morning. If anything else, if I don't say one word, you can walk out this place knowing that you were forgiven. That's why it's so frustrating sometimes when we come into service and we are just not in awe of God. It's, 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 but, 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 but why aren't we more appreciative of what God has done in our life? Man, if we went home today and you got a letter in the mail saying that you were debt free for the rest of your life. That you can buy whatever you want and it's paid in full. You would be all over Facebook. Oh man, I can buy whatever I want. But we have that same spiritual freedom. It's already been paid. It's debt free. It's been bought on a cross. By Jesus Christ. So that when I get to enter into this place, it is nothing but pure Hallelujah and worship because I am debt free and I am set free despite what the luggage says. Amen. I got to hurry up. All right. Um, verses 7 through 10. If we can pull that up real quick. Just look at what God wants to do. Then the Lord said to Moses, now put your, oh, I'm sorry. I, I jumped ahead here. Um, then the Lord told him, I've certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. And I have heard their cries of distress because of the harsh slave drivers. Let me tell you something. God hears your voice. He hears your cries. 
Just because God is in a genie lamp and immediately pops up and gives you the answer immediately when you say it, it does not mean that God does not hear you cry this morning. Your prayers, your petitions to God do not fall on deaf ears. I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of Egypt, uh, from the Egyptians to lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Pezzarites and the Termites and all those other people. He says, look, the cry of my people of Israel has reached me. I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead the people Israel out of Egypt. It is amazing what God just unfolded in front of Moses at this moment. And I'm saying if you allow that voice, that quiet time, you recognize that God is speaking to you, he will unveil that plan that he has for you. Amen. And he'll never send you unprepared. Now, I'm pretty sure I can feel the anxiety in Moses' heart as, as we are all human, as God just laid all of this out before him. He starts to clinch up that these people have been impressed over all the Egyptians, and you're going to send me to set all of these people free. At this time, you know, Egypt was like the most powerful force in the world. Nothing could stop Egypt. They were number one. And me, this lonely guy that's herding sheep out in the wilderness, that's a fugitive on the run with all this baggage, you're going to choose me? Moses' insecurities or, his or, or, or maybe you can say his deficiencies rose up. And in verse 11, he says, who am I? Who am I? To lead the people. Who am I? Say that this morning. Who am I? Look at your neighbor and say, who are you? It just looked like you all had amnesia just for one split second. <laughs> no. That, that thing that, that rises up in each and every one of us when God tries to take us to that place. I am never... Blank enough. I am never what? Somebody. I am never what enough? Smart enough. Brave enough. Tall enough. Hey, man. We're praying for you, brother. <laughs> but I am never blank enough. Who am I? See, we are defined, are we defined by what we have done or what we have done wrong? Are we defined by achievements? Are we defined by accolades? That's how the world would describe us. But so many times we take that world mentality into here. And God's mentality is totally different than the world's mentality, amen? God doesn't care about your accolades. God doesn't care about your achievements. He doesn't care about your deficiencies or your insecurities. He cares about your willingness and your heart. See, how you identify yourself determines how you live. 
See, we can all relate to Moses. It's easy to go to that default, why me? But see, this is what I love right here. See, Moses never doubted God. He never doubted the, he, he never thought that God couldn't do all that he said. He doubted that God can do it through him. See, a lot of us, we come to the church and we believe that God can heal sister so-and-so and brother so-and-so, but God can never heal me. That I believe, oh man, that person is set apart. Oh, that guy's got a great ministry, but I don't have a ministry. See, we disqualify ourselves from God's plan. Who are you today? Let me tell you real quick who you are today. In John 1, it says that you are God's child. In John 15, it says, I'm a disciple. I'm a friend to Jesus, amen. In Romans 5, it says, I've been justified. In 1 Corinthians, it says, I'm united with the Lord. In Colossians, it says, I've been redeemed from all of my sins. In Colossians 2, 9, it says, I'm complete in Christ. Wow, that's amazing. In Hebrews 4, it says, I have direct access to the throne. In Romans 8, it says, I'm free from condemnation. In Romans 8, 28, it says, I am assured that God works for all the good things in my life. Oh my gosh, Romans 8, I'm free from condemnation. In Colossians, I'm hidden away with Christ. In Philippians, I'm confident well, God will complete the good work that he wants to do in me. John 15, I'm a branch of Jesus. You guys should be way more excited about this because so many times we come in here and say, who am I, God? And God is saying, you are everything to me. <laughs> then at the beginning of time, I started this plan in motion for you. Not for the church, not for us, for you. If you were the only person on the earth, God's plan would still be in effect. He would still send his son to die for you on a cross. That when you can come through this place, you don't go, who am I, Lord? That I'm a child of the king. I'm redeemed. I'm set free. I'm healed. That all of these things aren't just for you or her, but they're for me. That I can take claim of the promises that God has for me. Verses 12 through 14, this is, this is where we're, this is the good stuff. God replied to Moses, I am who I am. And I always, I always, what? Okay, what? You are who you are. Oh, that's fantastic. What a cryptic thing to say to Moses. But he says, I am who I am. And you break down, I am who I am. The two I am's are different. The first I am is the God of the past. The God that brought you to this place. And the second I am refers to the God of your future. Where I'm going to take you. And what I'm going to do with you. See, I am the God that united you together in your marriage. And I am the God that's going to fix it when it's a little rocky, amen. I am the God that gave you that.
that job, and I am the God that's going to get you out of debt. Amen. I am the God that was your salvation, and I am the God that's going to make you a mighty man or woman of God. Amen. It's the God of the past, and it's the God of the future. I am the blank in your life. I want the worship team to come up. And I want to turn to Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. See, we see that Moses gets called from God, and we see a little bit down the road that he ends up going back out on Mount Sinai, and God gives him the Ten Commandments, amen? But when he had this burning bush moment, if we read further down, it says, I'm the God of I am, that you shall refer to me as I am. From now on, that that is my name. My name is I am. So in Exodus 20, verse 7, it says, You shall now take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Now when we read that, and we read that in Sunday school, where do we implement that? Ah, don't swear. Don't say bad words with God's name in it. He He doesn't like that. Don't use the Lord's name in vain. Don't go, oh God, and, and this and that. That's how we implement it. Let me stretch it a little bit. When we ask Jesus into our heart, we take his name. We become one with Christ. We just, we just read all those scriptures. We become one with Christ. We, we inherently take his name. When my wife married me, she went from that awful name of Miller to Squires. She inherited that name. She was no longer a miller. Now she has prestige and she's a squires. She took that name. Amen? We do the same thing. When we ask Jesus Christ into our life, we take that name. So when you say, I am, and start filling it with the blank stuff, That is opposite of what God is saying. You are taking God's name in vain. Because it says, you shall not take I am in vain. Amen. That when we come into this place, don't take it for granted that God has something for you each and every time. That you are not disqualified from what baggage that you had in your past. Any insecurities that you have. That when you when you, when you reject that, when you block that, when your insecurities are greater than God, you are insulting God. When we doubt the product, when we doubt the product, we insult the manufacturer. I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not tall enough. I'm not this enough. And God's saying, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. I'm smart enough. I don't have the faith. I'm faithful. I'm not forgiven. I've forgiven you. Don't think I am. Don't think I am this morning. I want everyone to stand to their feet. Because I believe some people are going to be set free this morning of a who am I mentality. I don't want you to think, who am I? I don't want you to think, 
I am, I want you right now, and I want you to just shout it out and give God the praise that he needs, that I know I am. I know I am this morning. Despite the circumstance, despite what's going on, I know I am. I know I am. When we started out, I said my sermon was on impact and recoil. Impact and recoil. See, some of we're, we're like this rubber ball here. And when we bring this stuff into God's presence and God wants to use us, we don't go as high as that we need to. But when we know I am, and despite how hard the surface is in our lives, when God uses us, look how high our recoil is, amen, that it doesn't matter what's going on. He's going to take me higher than I need to go. Because look, he only dropped me this high, but look how high I went in it, amen. And some of us need some recoil in our life. Look at the definition of recoil, to spring back from. There's some people in this place today, they need to spring back where you came from, amen. You need a little spring in your step. And it says to undergo a change in momentum as a result of impact. Some of us need a change of momentum this morning, amen. We need to change the way that we're thinking. We need to leave the baggage at the door and enter into his presence. And if that is you today, I don't want you to hesitate. I don't want you to think about it. I want you to come forward and just say, I know I am, and claim it this morning. And our prayer team's going to come up, and we're going to pray for you and agree with you this morning. Don't miss out on this opportunity. Don't sit there and think, who am I? Don't let who am I rule your life this morning. Amen. Come out and claim that God knows who you are. And claim, I know I am. Hallelujah.